I was 17 years old when I got addicted to opiate painkillers and quickly led, you know, escalated from Vicodin and Percocets to Oxycontin um, and ultimately years down the road in my 20s led to um, some heroin in the end. It definitely uh, spiraled out of control. Um, and a, a big period of that also was me trying to recover. So I, I did have periods of recovery um, once I realized I had a problem and I couldn't stop. Um, but it still took me another 10 years or so of struggling, trying to, to get better. Hey friends, you're listening to the CarrotCast podcast where we help investors and agents build businesses of freedom and impact. I'm your host, Brady Winder. And today I have my new friend with me, Mr. Greg Gauda. Greg, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Hey, Brady. I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Did I say that right, Godet? Yeah, Godet, Godet. Um, I think the correct pronunciation is Godet, um, but uh, honestly, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> we'll say Godet. That sounds uh, sounds more sophisticated. I like that. Yeah, um, there you go. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, it is Mindset Month at Carrot. And so all of December, we're talking about mindset, um, planning, strategy, uh, how to stay motivated, how to really stay in the right mindset so you can reach your goals. Um, and there's one thing I feel like we don't talk about enough, um, especially in entrepreneur circles and even in this little niche in a niche of real estate investors, um, there's this stigma around uh, mental health. Like it's something that we don't talk about. And I think, you know, Greg and I we were talking before the podcast yesterday, and I think it's really ironic because entrepreneurs struggle with this. Creative entrepreneurs really struggle because we're different. Your brains tick a little bit differently. And uh, most entrepreneurs struggle with some form of depression and anxiety. And so I, I know everybody listening to this uh, is listening to the CareCast because it's podcast about online marketing for real estate. Um, but this is a topic I know a firsthand experience that many of our listeners have wrestled with or are wrestling with at some point in their life. And so it's one that we can't avoid. Um, and so when we're talking about um, some of these mental health topics and the things that Greg has wrestled with in his story, um, even if you haven't experienced them on the same level, is something that uh, we need to talk about, especially at this time of the year. So this is actually going to be a two-part episode. So this first one, we're going to talk about Greg's story and where he's been. It's wild. I mean, homelessness, drug addiction. I don't want to spoil it. He had a really wild, amazing story that he's overcome. Um, and then part two, we're going to get a little more tactical and uh, talk about what he's doing in his wholesaling business, his real estate business um, in Maui and how he's ranking um, how he's ranking for some really competitive terms in Maui and how he's getting his motivated seller leads. And so we're going to cover both parts of his story. Um but yeah, anyways, Greg, I just want to thank you in advance for you know, like doing this, being vulnerable, sharing your story with other people and giving them a little bit of hope. But um, yeah, Greg, take me back to uh, when you were a kid. What, you know, what's the beginning of this story for you? Yeah, thanks, Brady. So um, and, and first off, I just want to say that, that you kind of touched on it, whether you've dealt with this specific uh, things that I've struggled with or maybe something completely different, whatever it is. Um, the point is that everybody faces challenges in life and whatever your particular uh, things that you deal with, um, it's not about what the issue is or the challenge that you're facing. It's more about um, the feelings that come with it and how we move past those things and, and grow from them. Um, and I, I share my story um, 
obviously some of the things I share is like very dark and not necessarily things that you would be proud to to share. But I feel an obligation to share these things because other people shared their stories with me when I was struggling and I got hope from them and they showed me that, you know, it was possible to, um, to change my life. And so I, I like to share my story now, um, with the goal of hopefully, um, reaching somebody else that maybe is, uh, is, is struggling, whether it be something with mental health or any other issue in life, maybe losing a loved one or maybe their business is failing or whatever is going on in life that maybe feels hopeless. Um, it doesn't matter whether, you know, what the actual issue is. Um, so anyways, yeah, but to, to answer your question, I, I, I really kind of, uh, I I like to say kind of a picture, picture perfect childhood. Um, my dad was a successful commercial real estate developer in Miami and um i had two older sisters and my mom you know family was really close and we certainly never needed anything um until i was 14 years old when my dad died of pancreatic cancer um pretty quickly um and that just i went from like never really knowing a real struggle or challenge in life being a privileged frankly white kid that had everything handed to me um to losing my world um and uh it was hard in a lot of ways i mean losing your dad is just right off the bat it's one of the biggest you know most painful things that a, a young boy could go through but um it was also hard financially since he was the breadwinner and um unfortunately he didn't buy his own real estate portfolio so mm. my uh, my family was in a tough position financially after that also um my response was to escape the feelings and to numb the feelings. And so instantly, I mean, within months of his death, I was just going out and trying to experiment with drugs, um, get into trouble, just whatever I could do to escape myself and and not be myself, really, honestly. Um, And ultimately, I did a lot of drinking, a lot of just doing all kinds of different drugs, selling drugs and all that. You know, at 14, I was doing things like taking ecstasy and, and, um, you know, and Molly and all that kind of stuff. Um, acid and different drugs like that and just experimenting, trying different things. And then, um, by the, my, my mid teens, I was 17 years old when I got addicted to, uh, opiate painkillers. Um, and, quickly led, you know, escalated from Vicodin and Percocets to Oxycontin. Um, and ultimately years down the road in my twenties led to, um, some heroin in the end. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, it, it definitely, uh, spiraled out of control. Um, and a, a big period of that also was me trying to recover. So I, I did have periods of recovery. Um, once I realized I had a problem, and I couldn't stop, um, but it still took me another ten years or so of struggling, trying to to get better. Um, and each time, get it's getting worse and worse. You know, from we talked about um, lows that I experienced, such as being homeless, um, spending a little bit of time in jail. Um, I, I overdosed. Um, you know, my mom found me basically mm. dead in my in my bedroom, my childhood bedroom at her home. Um, I was supposed to be detoxing and, um, 
I relapsed and she found me and thank God she saved me. Um, yeah, I've got the 911 recording from that call and it's uh, really, really hard to listen to. Um, but yeah, (laughs) some heavy experiences, um, again, you know, it's, it's, I know this can be really heavy and a lot of listeners may not relate with this exact story, but, um, we've all been through something that is just seemingly insurmountable. Um, and I, you know, I, I just ask the listeners to look at it from that perspective. Um, think about the feelings, not the the specifics of the story, but, um, yeah. And then, uh, other thing, I I just felt helpless, um, and for me, I just couldn't possibly picture a way that I could ever move past this barrier. You know, this 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 the my addiction was stopping my life from happening. Right? Did, like, did it I seem wanted- like that that hopelessness was kind of like it was a spiral effect or like a like a vicious cycle of like, well, I know that there's no hope for me to get better. So I'm just not going to try and just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Is that the case? Yeah, there was that, that was an aspect of it. And then another aspect was that, um, so it, it kind of towards the end there, um, I had been, you know, I'd go to this really great rehab center. Um, I've been to all kinds of rehabs from like this, the, the best ones in Florida to the state funded, or Catholic charity programs. Um, yeah, some rough yeah. ones where gunshots outside every night and things like that too. And Sheesh. those were actually the most valuable. Like I, I actually grew the most in, in those free state funded programs. But mm-hmm. um, to answer your question, I, in the, as it spiraled, it, it, yeah, it certainly got worse when I would try to, I would go in full force and gung ho and, you know, commit 100% and make it three days <laughs> and mm-hmm. then just not be able to hand, take another minute uh, uh, and relapse again. Um, and, and that would certainly take, you know, cause me to become more hopeless. Um, but what really did it for me was kind of in the end, I mentioned I just spent a little bit of time in jail. It was just about a month. Um, I did a lot of overnighters, but um yeah, I'd never spent more than one night in jail until 2010. I had been working at Sports Authority. I was living in a halfway house, working at Sports Authority. It was the best job I could get. And I was making like $8.25 an hour or something. Um, and, you know, I, I had actually been in a licensed appraiser when I, in my um, right out of high school before my addiction mm-hmm. really got bad. Um, and so like, it was humbling. Um, and it, it was kind of, you know, I guess like it, I, I, I still couldn't see a possible outcome at that time where I could have the life that I really wanted. Right. Yeah. Well, and while I was, and so the point of this whole story is that while I was working that job, I relapsed and I could barely, I mean, I couldn't pay my rent on my $8 an hour. And um, I certainly couldn't pay for my hundred dollar a day habit. Um, I mean, a hundred dollars a day was a, like enough to stop me from getting sick. Not enough to really like. Really, wow. I would would have liked more. Be like three hundred dollars a day, but yeah. um, I you know never could afford that. Anyways, point is, um, the only way I could support myself there was I was stealing from the register. I was taking money, mm. the cash out of the register. 
um, when nobody was around doing fake returns and uh, went into work one day and the, um, you know, the whole team there from sports authority theft prevention or whatever was, they they had the cops there. They took me to jail and I spent about a month there. And from there is where I went, when I went to the state funded rehab, that time period was really rough because, you know, before I got arrested, the best job I could get was $8 an hour at sports authority. And I mm-hmm. couldn't even make my rent with in my cheap little apartment with a roommate situation. So, yeah. um, now I'm sitting in jail detoxing from opiates, which is a horrible experience. I don't wish on anybody. I can't even, I don't want to begin to imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, that was the best job I could get. Like, that's how great my life was before. Now I have two felonies on my record. Hmm. Like, what am I going to ever live for? Right. I just. Yeah. Was this your rock bottom? From that, Yeah. For me, there wasn't like one rock bottom. I would say, yeah, that was pretty much the worst feeling. Um, um, there was a, a point where my family had looked through my text messages. We were on our yearly family vacation where we just would go down and spend a week at the beach and all with our cousins, everybody would go and I was sick the whole time. And my family thought that I had been in recovery for, I don't know, a year or two at that point. And I got sick because I didn't have any drugs. I only, you know, I, I used all the drugs that I brought on the first day. And so I went into horrible withdrawals and I just told everybody, oh, I must be sick. Um, but they kind of knew. And so yeah. um, when I wasn't looking, they looked through my phone and they saw me talking to, you know, clear conversations showing that I had been using. Um, and at that, that time, I thought they had seen this conversation. It turns out, I just found out recently that they they didn't see. But in that conversation, there was talk between me and one of my drug using friends um, about how like we both kind of just felt hopeless. Like we were like, I mean, there's no, we couldn't possibly imagine a way where we could get past this challenge and build a life that we would, you know, want to live. So um, we had conversations about how could we just end it all without suffering, basically. And, you know, like we had conversations about like, what if we just injected a whole bunch of oxy into each other at the same time or, you know, things like that. And um, at the time it was like, the crazy part is, when it was happening, it was like nothing to me to have that conversation. I didn't think anything of it. Like I just mm. thought like, this is the rational solution to my problem. And it, there was no emotion. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, like poor, this is horrible. You know, but now I look at it, I'm like, man, <laughs> what a terrible low place to be. And um, yeah, I thought yeah. my family had seen that message and that was like, I was, I was, that's when I realized like how, how low it was and, and um, yeah, thinking so, about it from somebody else's perspective. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's wild, man. I mean, I can't even imagine like being in jail, you know, trying to, you know, trying to, my only experience with Oxy is like having a hand injury and taking a little bit and then just getting the, the world's smallest taste of like, wow, this is extremely addictive. I can't believe we prescribe this to people. That's amazing. Um, yeah. it's pretty wild to think about that. And so I, I can't imagine the scale of what you're, you're talking about. Um, so what was the, you know, what was the come up like, like um, the question and people's heads is 
that's a massive rock bottom more than most of us have experienced. What's the next thing? Um, so it's, it was just a slow process. Um, it wasn't like something happened. I no mean, magic the, door. <laughs> it, I mean, when I had talked about how I had overdosed and my mom found me and literally just gave me CPR and, um, she saved my life. Literally, um, that kind of, I would say, was the turning point. Mm. It wasn't the very last time that I put a drug in my body, but it was pretty much the end. Um, mm. um, and from there, it was just, um, I was lucky that I, I, I was able to get a decent job. Um, shortly after that was around 2010, and I moved to Hawaii, where I've been since, Um and just just one thing at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, and eventually, before I knew it, I've, I've been sober for almost ten years. Um, now I've been in Hawaii for almost ten years, also, um, or over ten years in Hawaii. And um, yeah, it, it wasn't like there was one thing that happened, one thing that changed, you know. And like the next day, I was a millionaire real estate investor. <laughs> like, yeah, it yeah. was a very slow process, and um, and I worked and I came back to real estate. When I moved to Hawaii in 2012, I just happened to fall into a job at a brokerage here, um, which I've always loved real estate. I mentioned I was an appraiser when I was 18 years old um, up until the recession hit and I lost my mm. job. But um, yeah, I worked at a brokerage here. I loved it. I was fascinated by it. I wanted to invest in real estate. Um, I wish that I had at that time, 2012, but <laughs> it wasn't until yeah. 2017 that I actually bought my first rental. Uh, yeah. but, uh, I, I went and worked for another brokerage also. And, um, and I do have one quick lesson I like to share about those, uh, two experiences is that, you know, yeah. when I was doing that, it was, this was before I had found like all the resources that we have, like the carrot cast, right? I wish I yeah. knew about this back then and, and bigger pockets, um, yeah. you know, like the forums and all this, just all the, you know, stuff on YouTube, just, there's all so much information out here at that time. I didn't know those things. But I was trying to buy real estate, just flying blind, really, going based on what my brokers were telling me. Um, and there's a there's two particular experiences that I like to share where, um, you know, I know like the Caracast is not necessarily like a, a a lot of newbies listening. It's mostly you know pretty established businesses, but. Um, mm -hmm. Um, I think we can still take away from this lesson. I still have to remind myself of this lesson all the time, which is that look at the source of the information you know you're receiving hmm. and what is their actual credentials. And um, the the story behind that is that while working at the last brokerage, I was a vacation rental manager and I had seen, I'd been watching this building. There's a complex on Maui. Anybody that from here is going to know instantly what I'm talking about, where the condos are super cheap. And, um, you know, at that time they were selling for like 50, 60,000. Mm. And I mentioned to my broker, like, hey, these things sell for 60,000 and they're renting for a thousand a month. Like, that seems like, <laughs> like a good investment. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and she said, uh, oh, you don't want anything to do with that place. Um, it's a nightmare. Stay away from it. You can't get a mortgage at that place. It's called Harbor Lights. Um, she's like, you can't get mortgages at Harbor Lights. You don't want to touch it. Stay away. And I just thought, oh, okay, this is an authority person, like somebody that knows what they're talking about. 
um, and, and she's a broker, the principal broker of this, this office. Um, and she's saying it's bad news. So I trusted her and I, I didn't look any further into it. Um, well, today I own six units in that, in that building and they cash flow really well. Um, <laughs> all my mentors own in that building. Um, basically every investor I know on Maui <laughs> owns at Harbor Lights. Um, yeah. and, um, and then the, the other experience that I had was while buying my second condo at Harbor Lights, the mortgage um, the guy I was working for for the mortgage is was the president of a local, like a pretty big little Hawaiian bank. And during the second loan, he said, Greg, why are you buying another one of these things? Like, this is a bad idea, you know, because from his perspective, he had seen all these foreclosures there during the recession because people over leveraged and, you know, investors were yeah. buying on speculation and all that. But he, you know, and at the time I seriously reconsidered, I almost said, Oh wow, this guy, you know, he's been around a long time and he's really an expert in this industry. Maybe I should heed his warning and stop and cancel back out. And I didn't think about this at the time. I just thought like, okay, well that's one person's opinion. Um yeah. and I and I still, you know, my research and my the numbers just seemed to work so I, I went through with it. But now looking back on it, it's like, well, that guy didn't own rental properties. So like he seemed like a really credible source. Um being the president of the mortgage department of this bank, but um, he he was not in this. You know, he he wasn't a landlord. He wasn't an investor. He didn't own a rental por- property portfolio. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my my little lesson, and and I I kind of learn that all the time, over and over, um, with a, uh, just so many different experiences, and, and so I I like to share it because I got to remind myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good lesson to remember. Do, you know, don't don't. Always assume that you can trust the source. Do a little bit more digging. Yeah, I like that story. It's cool that you you have rentals out of that unit cash flowing right now. That's awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So there's a couple of questions I want to ask you, kind of you know relating to your story through that process of like you know hitting rock bottom, uh, getting better. What was your what was your journey of self worth? like through that. And what I'm getting at is like, I would imagine that after going something through something that traumatic for that long, you still have, you know, some of these negative thoughts and temptations to go back to old ways pop up over the years. It's not like it just gets easier overnight. So yeah. What was your journey of like valuing your self-worth like through this? Um, just getting sober. It, I, I feel like, yeah, there's certainly still some situational depression. Um, and insomnia and different feelings that and struggles that you'll I I think most people go through when they're in early recovery but overall like for me being sober was 90% of the battle right like now all yeah. of a sudden like at least I felt good physically um was clear minded um so that that was I would say the biggest part of of the battle um now the next part for me was the self-worth thing was, um, and I, I don't know if this is how you mean it, but I've always had a really hard time with the idea of working, whether a nine to five or whatever, any kind of job, but basically working for somebody else and living paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I just, I could never imagine that. And so that was a, kind of my biggest issue is that, okay, now I'm, I'm sober and I've got the potential to do anything with my life almost. Um, and, but I still 
have to go work for somebody and this is what I'm doing it for. Like I'm getting, so I did all this work and won this battle so that I can live this existence of like sitting in traffic to go to a job that I hate. <laughs> You know, like, I yeah. just, you know, I, I can remember that feeling driving to work Monday morning and just think like, you know, that feeling of like that pit in your stomach, you're just like empty inside and you're like, oh, yeah. man, blow my brains out kind of, yeah. you know, like it wasn't as bad as the feeling of an active addiction, but like, it was right. still like, I can't do this. Like, I just cannot yeah. do it forever. Um, yeah. So that, that was a big challenge for me. And I worked through that by reading different books and kind of like learning about, I was really big into figuring out like, okay. How much money do I need to save or come up with or whatever? Like, what do I have to do to not have to work for somebody else for the rest of my life, basically to retire? Sort of like that fire mindset mentality. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was really, really, this was before, well, I didn't know about that mindset at least. Um, but that's kind of what, where I was at, you know, like I just didn't get it. I was like, why is everybody okay with going to work five days a week? Like we're spending most of our time at work. What? Am I the only buddy that only person that sees that that is a problem? Like that's not okay. Yeah. Um, I felt like a crazy person. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. I t basically my my solution was you know I was making fifty grand a year, right? Like how could I possibly? Um, I didn't really have a lot of options, but I saved really diligently, and I I lived off like you know every day I'd bring my peanut butter jelly sandwich to work. Um, I figured out that it cost me like a dollar twenty three something. I don't know, whatever for lunch every day instead of everybody else that was paying $12 downstairs yeah. at the restaurant. Um, so just everything like that, I would save as much as possible, always had a roommate, find the cheapest place that I could and just didn't spend money and, and saved and saved and saved. And after years of this, I think I'd saved like six or $7,000. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. Um, ultimately, a, a big chunk of my um, success in, in getting into the business is that um, I did land a better job. And so I worked my way up. And um, and actually, there is a, actually a valuable story on this too. I was fired. I mentioned that I was a vacation rental manager. Mm -hmm. um, and I was fired from that job. And that was really hard on me. You know, mm -hmm. I'd been sober for a few years and like things seemed to be going well. I loved that job. Um, I wasn't necessarily a fan of my broker, <laughs> the same one that told me not to buy yeah. lights. Um, but yeah. you know, I, I loved my job and I was pretty crushed when I was fired for, out of the blue, honestly, like I prob mm. probably wrongful termination, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Point is I was crushed. Um, and I, um, but it turns out it was the best thing that ever happened to me because <laughs> it wasn't yeah. for that. I wouldn't have gotten the next job that I got, which is where I worked my way up into making six figures. And um, at that point, when I started that job, I had, I think, $10,000 in savings. And we're talking like probably four years of savings. And I came up with $10,000. And I started that job. And I it was kind of a, a commission um, sort of job. So I had the ability to really hustle. And so I really mm -hmm. hustled at my day job and I, I made some good commissions and I was able to save up 30 something thousand. And that's what I used to buy my first, um, which a rental property, which was at Harbor Lights. Um, yeah. And I still, yeah, own it today. I bought it for 70,000 and it rents for 2000 a month and um, it does great. Wow. 
That's awesome. That's cool. That, that, that pit in the stomach, it sounds like, uh, of like driving your job thinking like, did I get better? Did I go through the whole healing process just to do this is kind of what drove you to, you know, eat the PB and J's and save up and, and, you know, uh, grind through and save to get your first, um, your first rental. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Absolutely. I, I know we're just about out of time for, for part one of this episode. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, it, if you could offer any sort of advice or hope to, to people that were in your shoes, um, what would you want to say to them to somebody struggling? Like what, what keeps you going these days? You know, how do you, how do you keep it up? Well, the one thing that I wish that I could tell myself. And so I, I think, um, you know, again, if anybody's kind of struggling with the same sort of feelings, again, like I said, it doesn't matter what the, 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 situation or the challenges, it's really more about the feelings. What I wish I could tell myself was that everything changes. Nothing is permanent. And, um, you know, a lot of times when you're feeling hopeless, it's really, really hard to imagine your problems going away one day, Hmm. but they will and they do. And, you know, like if you had told me in 2010, when I was, you know, sitting in the jail cell and whatever in the, in the state funded rehab in little Haiti in Miami, ducking gunshots while, whenever we go outside to smoke cigarettes. <laughs> um, if you had told me at that time that I was going to be a millionaire real estate investor and basically work for myself and have this portfolio of rental properties, live in Hawaii, get to surf every day. Um, you know, I get to just like drive the cars that I love. I'm a huge car fanatic. So like cars are a big thing for me. Um, you know, have a family here. Um, I can actually pay my mortgage and it's not, you know, like I I never, ever could have fathomed. I never could have fathomed owning my own home. I I couldn't fathom being able to pay my rent without really stretching myself. And so, um, it's, uh, you know, it's like anything, everything else in life. It's just, it's one day at a time. And it's usually for most people, some, maybe, you know, there are certain situations that are are exception, but generally it's, uh, there's a slow process and you do, you take one step at a time in the right direction. Um, and before you know it, it's like your problems or your challenge or, or the reason you kind of, um, maybe couldn't see an end in sight that's a distant memory and it's gone you and you've got everything that you you wanted right and it doesn't mean that life is all peaches and butterflies or you know whatever like yeah life still has challenges um you know now i've gotten to where i've i don't have to work um i don't have to do flips and so i i've started working a lot less and, uh, but I'm starting to feel that a little bit, you know, I'm, I've, mm. I've noticed like, it's, I don't want to say like depression, but like, it's, it's, I think if I didn't address it, I would end up having some depression over it. Um, I need to be productive. I need to go out and do stuff. And so, um, we're doing a flip now and, um, and I'm going to refocus and, and start expanding the business some more to grow myself and, uh, take care of myself mentally. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah, answer, short answer to your question is I'd like to just, my advice is just everything changes, nothing is permanent and it will be okay. Everything yeah. will be okay. That's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's a good lesson. It's so hard to see when you're in the middle of it. It's so hard to imagine that, like you said, it, that 
that it is temporary, but it feels like this is forever. It's indefinite. So yeah, thank you for sharing your story, man. I appreciate, again, appreciate your vulnerability. Um, I think that's going to be helpful for a lot of our listeners and it's an important topic that we need to talk about. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, anybody, yeah, anybody listening, watching, if, if this resonated with you, if you got value out of this, uh, send me an email. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm a sucker for comeback stories like Greg. Uh, if you have one, email me, Brady at carrot.com. If you have any thoughts, just uh, shoot me an email. Let's have a conversation. Um, and make sure to go to carrot.com slash mindset to get the rest of our episodes um, on mindset for this month. And don't miss uh, our epic annual epic planning call with our CEO, Trevor Muck. It's going to be January 5th, 2023. It's epic because it's about three hours long. And we're going to, uh, Trevor's going to sit down with you and go through the biggest lessons and mindset shifts you learned from this past year and uh, plan out the year ahead with you strategically and tactically. And so go to care.com slash epic to grab your spot. And thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you next week.